0: Chapter 13. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word with me this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong, our clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfected it, imperfected it imperfect, excuse me, disappears. Verse 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder of who you are, of the love that you have for us, and how we are to love other people. Thank you for the beautiful message that we heard in song this morning through Mrs. Derrick's class, and through Jamie, and through the praise team. We extol you. We worship you. We tell you that we love you, Lord. I'm asking that you'd help me to share this message and make it very, very applicable to where we live at in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share a story with you as I begin my message this morning. I heard Chuck Swindoll, radio pastor and preacher and author, tell this story. A number of years ago, in a small, small community, smaller than John Day, there was only one community church and there was only one bar and one restaurant. And it just so happened that in that community church there was a lady by the name of Mildred. And Mildred was one of those ladies who was a true, true gossip and a hypocrite. In fact, Mildred kept a list of all the church morals. And she loved to stick her nose into other people's business. Several people, several church members did not approve of Mildred's extracurricular activities but they feared her enough to maintain their distance and silence. She made a mistake, however. She made a mistake, however, when she accused, when she accused a new member of the church, a fellow, a fellow by the name of George, who, she said, was an alcoholic. She saw his truck parked in front of the bar several days in a row and so before George and several other church members, she said, you're an alcoholic and you should be ashamed of yourself. Now George, he was a silent kind of guy, a man of few words. He stared at Mildred for a moment and just turned and walked away. He did not explain what, what he was doing there. He gave no, no defense whatsoever. He did not deny her accusations. He said nothing. Now, in reality, he parked his truck there in the bar parking lot because there was a good place to pick blackberries. There was a large blackberry bush right there. But he didn't say any of that. He never defended himself. But later that evening, Mildred, by the way, who was a single lady, never married, later that evening, Saturday evening, George quietly parked his truck in front of Mildred's house, walked home, and left it there. (laughs) Left it there all night, and the next day, and the next night. Uh, You got to love George, right? You got to love him. When I read that, I thought, man, why didn't I do that when I was dealing with some mildreds years ago in the church as I pastor? I'm serious when I say this. An old country farmer, an old country farmer said, never, never get in a spitting match with a skunk. Even if you come out winning, you still smell bad. And I think that's true. As I said, we've been in a series for some time for the book of Corinthians. And we found out and we discovered that the Corinthian church did not always get along with one another. And in fact, it was filled full of mildreds, people that were very, very judgmental, people that were looking down their nose at other individuals and often talked and gossiped about these people. And in the Corinthian church, they also were a little bit prejudiced. And in the Corinthian church, they believed in exercising their liberties to such an extent that they almost promoted those people with a weaker conscience, almost were led back into sin. The Corinthian church was filled full of problems. But the Apostle Paul never gave up and never uh, threw in the towel, so to speak, on the Corinthian church. He had hope that these people could learn how to disagree agreeably, how they could learn to love one another graciously and with Christ-like love. And so the Apostle Paul has been writing this letter, and all of a sudden, after writing about all these different subjects and after writing about all these different things, he comes to what we call the greatest treatise ever written on love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's at this particular place that we find ourselves this morning. I'm going to ask you the question that I think begs asking. In your life, in my life, what do we live for? What do we live for? What are we aiming our life for? Bottom line, what is our bottom line foundational purpose for living life? Uh, Some people answer that question, to be happy. And that's a pretty good goal, to be happy, to be joyful. Some people say, well, to make a lot of money. Other people say to have, uh, to never ever to be able to change a diaper again. Those of you who are young mothers. Uh, To always look beautiful. To be in shape. You see, how we answer that question often determines our dominant life principle in life. My aim in life is what? For example, if my ultimate purpose in life is the principle of happiness and fun, never to be bored, then when I get two invitations in the evening, I'm always going to choose the one where I can have fun. If my life dominant principle in life is to make money, then I'm always going to choose those activities that I can make more money and I can pursue all of those things above everything else. If my dominant life value in life Is comfort, then I'm always going to choose the easiest road to go down. If my dominant life principle is to be liked, it's to be well recognized, then I'll tend to choose the things where people will notice me. But what does God say about this? What is God's ultimate aim for each individual person in this whole world? What does God say about our greatest, most dominant life principle? Bottom line out of all the drives and of all the pursuits, And of all the purposes that people can live for, what does God say should be our ultimate purpose? Success, fame, fortune, beauty, brains, bucks, prestige, power, work, fun, sex, alcohol, drugs, to die with the most toys, to get our name written on a bunch of plaques, I want you to look with me at what the Apostle Paul says our ultimate purpose in life should be. Look at First Corinthians chapter 4, excuse me, 14 verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, "Follow the way of love." The Revised Standard Version says, "Make love your aim." The Living Bible paraphrase says, "Make love your greatest aim in life." Why of all the things that God could have said, why does he say say make aim, love your, your number one aim in life? What's the why is that, Pastor Ron? Well, in this passage of Scripture in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, the Apostle Paul gives us five reasons, five reasons why love should be our greatest aim. And I want you to notice these reasons, and i invite you to pull out those message notes and follow along this morning. First he says, Without love, notice, without love all that I say is worthless. Even encouraging things. All that I say is worthless without love. Look at verse 1 with me. Notice. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a claiming symbol. In other words, if I have this gift of languages, and remember we said that 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that these people were dealing with this issue because... In the early church, they had this sign gift. They could speak in other languages, and they didn't even have to study the language. They didn't even have to be born in that language. There were people who could speak other languages extemporaneously. What a wonderful gift to have. Imagine that. And he says, if I could speak in all of these languages, and if I could speak in these heavenly languages, but if I don't have love, it's zero. If I had this wonderful ability... It's absolutely zero. It doesn't matter. It's worthless, she says. Now, most of us remember former President Ronald Reagan, right? And Ronald Reagan was known as the great orator. He was known as the great communicator. He was an impressive speaker coming from Hollywood. But you could have the Reagan uh, charisma about you And you could be able to speak in all of these languages, and you could be able to really overpower people with your oratory. But the Bible says, without love, it's like a clanging cymbal. It's like just beating a drum day after day, week after week, month after month. There's no rhyme, there's no reason, it's just like a clanging cymbal, he says. So without love, all that I speak, all that I share, without love, is nothing. Absolutely nothing. How many of you remember a number of years ago, there was an ABC News special and they highlighted a middle-aged person, actually more toward the younger side, probably in his mid-30s, who was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, a son of a Presbyterian minister, and this fellow was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. ABC did a new special because it was unusual because he chose to continue to teach through all of his treatments and through all of his vomiting and through all of that stuff. He chose to continue to teach. And he wrote a book during that period of time. He wrote it for his daughter that would be left without a father. And in one of the chapters of the book, entitled, Words Are Empty... Without loving actions, he was trying to convey this thought to his daughter. You can talk all you want. Talk is cheap. But if you don't have love, if you don't have unconditional love for God and other people, it's worth nothing. Well, number two here. Paul says, without genuine love, all the knowledge, all the brains in the world, all the learning... Is lacking, lacking. Notice verse two of our text this morning. He says, "If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all ministry, all, all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, it is nothing." You can be the. You can have the Phi Beta Kappa key. You can be a Mensa member. You can be in the top one percent of one percent as far as the intellectual. Uh, of this intellect of this world. You can have the Einstein uh, brilliance. You can be an astrophysicist. <laughs> but without love, all of your knowledge, all of your learning does not matter. You can be brilliant. You can be a walking encyclopedia and you can memorize and quote the entire New Testament. You can split theological hairs 16 different ways. You can answer all the Bible questions. And God says, without love, that equals zero. What good does it do to know the Bible backwards and forwards and to do all of these Bible studies and to memorize Scripture if I can't get to the basics and the foundational uh, uh, truth of the way that I'm supposed to treat people in a Christ-like, loving way? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying to the Corinthian church, you folks, you should be far ahead. You should be a lot more mature than you are. You're still on baby's milk. You should be on solid food because you don't know how to treat one another. You've forgotten the basics of love, foundational love. And so he says, you can speak in all these human languages and you can have the eloquence of these in these heavenly languages and you can have all of this knowledge and you can be an absolute genius. Again, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards. But what good does that do if you can't even treat your wife or your husband or your next-door neighbor with graciousness when they offend you or when they do something and they say something against you. Well, it does not count, he says. I want you to notice number three. He says, without love, without love, all that I believe, all of my spiritual experiences is deficient. Look at the second part of verse two with me. Notice, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, there's a misconception in the Christian life, and let me explain it. Here's a misconception in the Christian life, that I can believe anything. I can believe anything I want. I can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I can believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead I can believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And I'm fine because I believe. But did you know the devil also believes those same things? What's the difference? There's more than belief. The Bible says, I have to love. I have to love God. I have to love Christ. I have to love other people. I can believe anything I want about Christ, but that does not save you. You have to love him, Scripture says. So here we have faith that can move mountains. But he says, without love, it is absolutely nothing. Without graciousness and without love, I can't even forgive a person who offends me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. I already you the answer. But how many of you have offended someone? How many of you have said something that you should not have said? How many of you have had a difficult time getting along with other people? I have. I- I- I've blown it publicly in the worst way recently and I had to ask forgiveness. The ability to ask forgiveness and the ability to receive forgiveness comes as a byproduct of love, of love. Number four here, I want you to look at it with me. He says, without love, all that I give is of no value. All that I give is of no value. Look at verse 3 with me, notice. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, I gain nothing. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about giving ourselves, a giving of all, all that we have. Can you imagine? Okay, this would be like, okay, I, I've, got, I've got all the money in my checking book. I've got all the money in my savings account. I've got several different vehicles. I have an RV vehicle. I have a boat. Um, I have a trailer, I have all-terrain vehicles, AT vehicles, I, all the money that I have in my stocks, in my bonds, all the money I have in my retirement, all the money I have in my investments, I, I, all the clothes that I have, all the jewelry that I have, I don't own anything. I am there before God. I've given everything away, everything away. And he says that that doesn't count for anything, Absolutely nothing. Unless I genuinely love God and love other people. Why? Now, Pastor Ron, you said that we cannot give God. Why doesn't it count? Because we can give for selfish reasons. People often give for different motives. Some people give for prestige to get their name on a plaque. Other people give to control people or to influence political parties or candidates. You can give out of obligation. You can give out of guilt. Just because a person gives doesn't mean the motive is always love. It doesn't mean that. There was a guy a number of years ago. He said, I don't understand. He said, I've given everything to my wife. I've given everything to her everything she ever wanted, but she's divorcing me. You can give your wife the biggest diamond ring in the entire world. You can give her the biggest house. You can give us the bigger car. You can give everything you have, materially speaking, but if you don't have genuine love, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, number five. Let's go on here. The Apostle Paul teaches, without love, all that I accomplish, all that I accomplish has no lasting impact. Look at the second part of verse 3 with me one more time. He says, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, you know the Living Bible Translation reads, if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ but did not have love, it would be of no value whatsoever whatsoever. And the Apostle Paul really is saying this. He's saying this. Imagine. I could do the greatest thing. The greatest thing. I could preach the kingdom of God that's the greatest thing, isn't it, preaching about the kingdom of God? I could be a world-renowned evangelist like Billy Graham, Billy Sunday of yesteryear. I could be like Greg Glory of the Harvest Crusades down in Southern California. I could preach to thousands. I could preach to ten thousands. I could preach to millions. I could help win people to Jesus Christ. But, and I could be the greatest martyr in the world. I could give myself exclusively to that and I could just lay my life on the altar, give every ounce that I have and die for the gospel's sake. I could be burned up in flames. I could do all of that. But if I don't have love, it's not worth anything. Zero. Zilch. Zippo. Now this is very, very important. This is so important. You know what God is saying through His Word here? This is what He's saying, if I can wrap it up this way. I can have the eloquence of an orator. I can have the eloquence of an orator. I can have the knowledge of a genius. I can have the faith of a miracle worker. worker. Catherine Coleman, like faith, this miracle worker of yesteryear. I could have the generosity of a philanthropist. I could be as rich as Warren Buffett and I could give millions and millions of dollars away, or Bill Gates. I could have the dedication of a martyr. I could preach the gospel clear around the world. But if I don't love God with all my heart, body, mind, and soul, and if I don't love my neighbor as myself, it is zero. It's zilch. It's nada. It's not worth anything. You say, Pastor Ron, why is this so important? It goes back to what our aim in life is. What's my aim in life? What am I living for? Am I living just to make a living? Am I living for money? Am I living for material possessions? Am I living just to be in love with the idea of love? Am I living just for security? Am I living just for the next alcohol or drug fix? Am I living just because I'm, I want a bunch of toys? What am I living for? You guys remember that uh, famous play, and then they, they made a movie out of it, made for TV movie, Raisin in the Sun. Remember that? Raisin in the Sun. It was about a black family. There's this father that dies and he, he has a life insurance policy. It's very small, but it's all the money they have left. A mother, a son, and a daughter. The son talks the mom into investing this money and he invests it foolishly He's so naive. And afterward, after his mother and sister finds out about it, in a moving, moving, in in a very moving scene from that play and movie, they're all in the living room area. And he tells them how he's lost all of their money. And they'll have a dime left. And the sister, oh man, the sister... She bitterly jumps on her brother and wounds him with bitterness. I mean, she is filleting this this guy just like you would take one of those nine cattails and you would rip him down the back. I mean, she's just going on and on and on and on and on about him when all of a sudden the mother steps in and the mother says, Honey, Honey, be quiet. Shut up. The time to your love, to time, the time to love your brother is now is now. When he's down, when he's sorely hurting, don't rub his nose in his failures. When he needs you the most. And when he needs your love the most, you need to love him. But how? You know, how do we have this kind of love? Because, you know, our our world and our society, you know, they have a skewed... uh, In Hollywood, they often give a a skewed way in which to love and and, and, and to interact with other people. Or we've observed that kind of love at a distance. Or maybe we grew up in that kind of family. And, And thank the Lord if you did. But I want you to notice... What, what, what is love? What is love? Well, after Paul hammers this point about the priority of love, in verses 4 through 8, he talks about the practice of love. And, and, and first of all, I, we have to define it. What are we talking about when we talk about love? Well, we're talking about agape love. And most of us have done a word study in the church very long, but we're talking about unconditional love, no strings attached whatsoever. No conditions put on the person whatsoever. I'm not going to love you if you love me. I'm going to love you regardless of what you do to me. I'm going to love you whether you yell or scream or cuss me out. I'm going to love you and I'm going to go for you and I'm going to be there for you whether you push me away, whether you shame me, whether you kick me in the rear or kick me in the stomach. I'm going to be there for you. That's unconditional love. And, but often we get confused with the definition of love because a typical person will say, all in the same breath, I love my wife, I love God, I love America, and I love hot dogs. And sometimes not in that order. It's hard to define for people. How do you practice love? Well, the Bible is very, very practical. Look at verses 4 through 8 with me. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, what kind of lovers are we? I almost titled my message that this morning, and I thought, no, people might misunderstand that. But facetiously, what kind of lovers are we? In the next few weeks, we're going to take each of these words and we're going to study them in depth as we continue to look at First Corinthians 13. This morning I want to make two insights very, very quickly here. I want to make two insights about this particular section of Scripture. Love is an action. It's an action. Love is also an attitude. And love is an act, not based. On Some people say, I fell in love like they fell in a ditch. What happens three years later? I'm not in love with that person again. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's an action. Notice, love is. Love does not. It's not something that you necessarily feel at times. I want to conclude with this story this morning. I'm running out of time. I like to do a study of preachers and pastors. and One of the most famous black preachers, he just died a few years ago, was a fellow by the name of E.V. Hill. And he was the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. And he was there for years. We're talking about 40-some years. He was a tremendous pastor. He had tremendous integrity. He was one of those kind of guys that he would talk about drug dealers and he would talk about pimps from the pulpit and he would point them out on the street corner and he would mention them by name. And so as a result of that, he often got phone calls and threats uh, and they were saying, we're going to kill you. We're going to murder you. One particular time, he took one threat very, very seriously. He came home one afternoon and he found his car missing. His car was gone. And he thought to himself, I wonder where my car's at. I I wonder if somebody's tampering with my car. 30 minutes later, as he's sitting on the front step, this is a true story, his wife drove up in their car and she got out of her car and she smiled at him and E. V. Hill said to her, Where have you been? What have you been doing? She said back to him I got to thinking, honey, that this community needs you more than they need me. And if there's nothing and if there's something wrong with the car, if there's a bomb in the car. I wanted to be in it, and not you. I wanted to be in it, and not you. Evie Hill, at his wife's funeral service, said, I always knew baby, that was his affectionate nickname for his wife. I always knew that baby loved me. But, under, but after that, I understood what love was all about. Sacrificial, unconditional love that goes the extra mile. As I said, I'm out of time. I want you to listen to what Jesus said, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. This is a commandment. It's from Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. It's a commandment that we love other people. Did you know that? You can't pick and choose who you love and who you don't love. You can't say, well, I married her, but I don't love her anymore, so I'm going to divorce her. You cannot say to your spouse, I love him, but I'm going to wave goodbye to her. As a Christian person, you choose to love. Now, if they walk away from you, you can't do anything about it, and understand that. You can't say, well, I'm going to love this neighbor over here, but I'm not going to love this neighbor over here. I'm going to love this neighbor over here because they give me fish every year. <laughs> but I'm not going to love this neighbor over here because they give me heartache every year. As a Christian person, you can't pick and choose who you love. And so Jesus said, a new commandment, it's a commandment. It's not based upon feeling or emotion. It's a commandment. And did you notice, or did you hear, Jesus said, You must love other people as I have loved you. And you say out loud with me, I cannot love other people the way that Jesus loved other people. And you're absolutely right. And this is the message of the gospel. I cannot love others like I need to love others apart from experiencing God's grace and God's forgiveness myself. I need God in my life to be able to love other people like He wants me to love other people. And that's it. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is so clear that we are to make love our greatest aim. it's it's the only thing that's going to